Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Nukeproof and We Are One Composites, and there's competitions and discount codes coming up just for you. Nukeproof have recently launched their autumn winter clothing range, and there's merino-based layers and socks, along with warm gloves, a light waterproof jacket and a soft shell jacket to choose from. I've been giving it all a go over the last few weeks, the temperature's dropped here in the UK, and I've been really impressed with the quality and the styling. The only thing that I'd not had a chance to wear so far was the soft shell jacket because it's just not got properly cold here yet and I run pretty hot. But I decided I really wanted to give it a go so I rode in it this weekend even though it was way too warm for it really at about 13 degrees C. I paired it with the Nukeproof short sleeve merino base layer underneath and unsurprisingly I felt a little bit warm on the first long climb of the day. But what really surprised me was that once my body had got up to temperature it felt like it kind of stabilised and I actually felt super comfortable in it for the rest of the ride. Not getting hot on the climbs or feeling cold when we stopped for a chat at the top of the trails. It's water resistant and DWR coated so it can deal with the odd shower too so I can see this jacket getting a lot of use this winter. If you want to sample the Nukeproof Autumn Winter Gear for yourself, then we have a chance for you to win your very own Blackline Waterproof Jacket, along with a set of the awesome Sam Hill Signature Grips and Sam Hill Pedals, which are my current go-to flat pedal. All you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Nukeproof, enter your email and the answer to a really easy question before the 9th of December, and then Nukeproof will pick a winner at random. I've been using Wheel One Composites carbon wheels on my bike for over three years now, with zero issues in all that time. They've not even needed to be shown a spoke key. I love the ride characteristics of their wheels, as they seem to go where you point them and really stick to a line, but they don't get pinged about off every trail obstacle, which can make a bike feel really twitchy when it's like that. If you have ever seen a pair, then you'll have seen the incredible finish, which I can assure you is just as good on the inside of the rim as it is on the outside, which just goes to show how much effort we are one put into ensuring the quality of everything they make is absolutely world class. We Are One recently launched a carbon bike too, the Arrival. I've not had a chance to ride one yet as they're pretty rare still, but if you've taken a look at it online, then you'll be able to see that We Are One's passion for quality and attention to detail is very much alive in the Arrival too. Due to the ongoing crazy demand in the industry and for We Are One products in particular, we're not able to offer you a discount code on complete wheels, but the team was super keen to do something for downtime listeners. So for the month of November, you can get 15% off rim-only products by using the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over at weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY2021, all lowercase, over at weareonecomposites.com. Christmas is just around the corner and if you're looking for the perfect gift for your riding buddies, a partner who rides or for yourself, then a subscription to Downtime EP and a Downtime hoodie or t-shirt should definitely be on your list. Unfortunately, I've not been able to get Downtime EP and the merch in the same place yet, but I want to make sure that if I move the merch, the quality and the ethics remain just as strong and I haven't been able to work that out yet. If you're keen to get your copy of Downtime EP, Mountain Biking's newest print journal, then you can head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. If you'd like a downtime hoodie or t-shirt, then you can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, I'd love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to chat with you in the comments and the messages there. All right, this week I'm joined by Mr. Steel City Media himself, Joe Bowman. 
Joe has been the man behind This Is PT, Gamble Movie, The Syndicate Team videos, and tons more creative work throughout the industry. We sat down to chat about how Joe found his way into the mountain bike video world, how Steel City Media has grown and where it's all heading. We also chat about his decision to put together a World Cup race team with the union, find out how that went in 2021 and the plans for more in 2022. Joe is one of the driving forces behind the media that we see and is someone who clearly loves and cares for our sport. So without further ado, here's Joe Bowman. Joe Bowman, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Good, cheers. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We're sat in your pretty much brand new office, right? Yeah, yeah. Just came in uh, last week. It's cool. It's almost feels too fancy in a way because it's <laughs> modern. <laughs> but it, now it's good. It's nice to have a little space outside of home for sure. Yeah. Me and Nush. Um, yeah, it's good, I guess. Don't need much. Just need a good Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere to put some stuff. Fast Wi-Fi, bit of storage. Yeah. Coffee machine. Yeah, yeah. Mini beer fridge. Exactly. Happy days. Just get just get out of home, I think. Yeah. It's kind of good, isn't it? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, things have come a long way. Let's let's wind it back. Um, tell us a little bit about the early days for you and kind of how bikes came into your life because you had quite an outdoorsy upbringing, right? Yeah. Um, I grew up in a little village south of Sheffield called Grindleford. Um Mum and dad have always been really outdoorsy. Dad's always been into climbing. Back when they lived in Leeds, um, yeah, they always, I guess, they always wanted to try and move down to the peak and for kind of for climbing and yeah. through work stuff. Um, so, yeah, I was always kind of doing stuff outside. And then, I guess, bikes. I don't know, maybe 10 or 12. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah. I guess in a little quiet village, obviously there's not tons of other stuff to do. So you, you go outside and, you know, football or whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, just the classic, I think there's a couple of older lads in the village riding bikes and jumping off walls to flat and all the usual stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I think there's a little handful of us who had bikes like any, you know, group of kids growing up, I guess. And I think what was interesting, and we were talking about this the other day, me and Sam actually saying how bad we are at dirt jumping. <laughs> I think it's because where we, we grew up in a similar place, I guess. And all we did is just go on big rides, smash down rocky bridleways in a straight line <laughs> yeah, and kind of just hang on. And you never really did any dirt jumping or stuff unless you, you know, went into town or, you know, to some dirt jumps. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of where we both like the riding we like now as well, because we both suck at jumping still. <laughs> fast, fast, rocky, technical, yeah, straight tech trails. And, yeah. yeah, slippy stuff. And, yeah. But yeah, obviously, out in the peak, there's a lot of good riding yeah. and a lot of nice places to go outside and explore. And even off the bike, obviously, too, climbing other bits. So, yeah. yeah. Was there much of a scene around here then for mountain biking? Was it starting to build? Um, out in the peak, I don't remember there being many bikes around Right when I was really little. Like, I remember you used to get a lot more hassle yeah. in a way because there was less of you stood out, I think. You know, if you went on a cheeky weekday, I don't know, Stanage or Burbage lap, <laughs> you'd you stand out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Even hassle. if you're doing it at a 
more sensible time. And I think now it's mad you go on a weekend out, you know, Lady Bar or wherever, and it's just rammed. It's almost 50-50 walkers, bikers sometimes. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so it's cool. It's cool to see. Yeah. Um, I think scene-wise, obviously, growing up in a little village, there wasn't many of us. Okay. But, and traveling, I guess, isn't that easy when you're young. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a, it was a little crew, which was cool because, you know, do the classic building little tracks and jumps and whatever in the woods and just going out. I guess we'd always ride towards Lady Bowway to get to the better stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you just go out on the big 10 hour days with no food or water and <laughs> creep home, dying. <laughs> um, classic. Um, so yeah, it, it's cool to see now there's so many bikers. Yeah, it's um, changed a lot, hasn't it, around here? For yeah. Sure. So nice. yeah. What about the racing side of things? Because you you were fairly active when you were younger on the race scene, yeah. Did a bit, yeah. Um, did I guess and started in youth, I think. Uh-huh. Did some downhill, like pier cycles, dragons, that kind of thing, and then did a few. I guess into junior. And like really, like really enjoyed it, but it was always just, I love the practice and going to the races and everything, but then just got way too nervous racing, never okay. enjoyed the racing, just way too stressed and yeah, just didn't enjoy it. Yeah. It's too nervous. Uh-huh. Kind of just, yeah. I think a lot of people, I guess, had that, yeah, love the being there and the riding and the, yeah, the yeah. racing just a bit <laughs> stressful, yeah. but um, never did too many nationals or anything. Um but yeah, did, yeah, loads of Dragon and Pierce. They were amazing events. Yeah. Like, I've not been to one in years. I'd like to do some Pierces. But just the whole scene of, you know, camping, you know, everyone just having a laugh and it, you know, people are racing hard, but having a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if it's changed a lot now, I, th- I think, but uh-huh. yeah, no, it was good. I still, yeah, still hear really good things about the Pierce series. Yeah. It sells out in minutes, I think, when the when the entries go live. So cool. it must still be pretty good. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever any dreams of being a pro rider then or was the race run always too kind of <laughs> stressful no not really I think I think you know don't you if you fast enough to get anywhere I, I definitely knew I wasn't yeah yeah <laughs> I, yeah I think I think you always wanted to do well but yeah I never thought I could be a full-time downhiller uh-huh. I always knew I wanted to work in the bike world definitely yeah but I think the racing it was more to go with your mates yeah as well because i had quite a few older mates who went a lot and it was just a good laugh nice. something to do and yeah i guess a lot, like probably the same reason a lot of people do i think yeah. yeah definitely the social side are you not the reigning world industry downhill <laughs> champion though i guess the last one we had was the one i won <laughs> so yeah it was, um, I wish it was some kind of gnarly downhill race that I could claim like, yeah, smoked all those other ridiculously fast people. But it was basically on kids' bikes, like Le Mans start, kids' bike slalom, <laughs> assault course thing in Andorra. And uh, you had to neck a pint or two at the end and thing. I've never seen, I think it's the most proud I've ever seen Steve Pete. Really? of me because I was wearing like you had to wear your team's kit yeah and I had his kit on and uh and I won and because I'm usually useless at downing beers right and uh I did it quite well 
and I beat Sven, which is the best part about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was that was funny. Happy days, proud that moment from yeah, Pete. There you go. Yeah, awesome. exactly. So yeah, what was going on at school then? While you were kind of riding, doing a bit of racing, were you like focusing on what you wanted to do? Did you have a feel for where you wanted to go with like, I guess the career side of things? You mentioned you wanted to be in the bike world. No, to be honest, I think at school, I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do at all. Um, I didn't really do amazing at school at all or kind of, I enjoyed it obviously from social side, yeah. but yeah, I didn't really ever have like a proper goal or like, right, I'm going to uni, I'm going to do this or get into that. Just kind of, I think got through school and was always just on the side riding and digging and, yeah. you know, obsessing about bikes. <laughs> and then I think the only thing I ever thought about is that me and my friend, um, Rob Jolly, we knew that we were going to go and do at least a year in Whistler after school. Okay. So it was kind of just a waiting game. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, finished school, went to Canada. A few of our mates who were older were already there and they'd been living there for a bit and we just jumped in with them and nice. we stayed for, I guess, a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So it was that two summers and a two winter? Two summers or? and a winter, yeah. Just working and playing and stuff. Amazing. The usual um, Whistler thing. Uh, which was yeah that was unreal and then I think when we were there obviously even though you were just being a like a season air bum it was like yeah you knew right okay need to somehow try and find a job in the bike world and I guess really fortunately so my dad's always worked in the climbing outdoor world mm-hmm. um he's always been in like a sales agent or distributor for climbing equipment okay and he'd been working with 510 for a long time and obviously that started off just climbing shoes yeah outdoor stuff and I mean this is probably a bit earlier than that still while still at school but uh-huh. then they redid the impact obviously yeah and by the bike side grew a lot and he him from Kim him coming from a climbing background he obviously knew about biking through me and you know bits about the scene and but didn't understand really about uh how like um, influential that shoe was back in the day when it was yeah, intense yeah. and stuff and all that backstory. And yeah, when I got back from Canada anyway, he was kind of the biking side was really kicking off and he needed help. And that was really lucky timing in a way. Yeah. He was, so I worked with him for three years. Nice. Um, so I was on the road just like, you know, like rep sales yeah. rep, yeah. bit of UK, and marketing stuff, just helping out wherever, to be honest, piling in. Yeah. Um, and that was cool because obviously you got to learn a bit about the behind the scenes of how things work a bit more with like the selling and marketing of yeah stuff and working with 510 a bit more directly, learned a lot and that was cool. And then obviously the bike shoes got a lot bigger and um, yeah, it was good, learned a lot. And then I guess that's when I, started filming around after three years, I reckon doing that. So, and then you were kind of on the, that point at which DSLRs were like affordable and had a good video function on them. Right. That was, that was that time in history, right. Where I I guess a lot of people were suddenly like, Oh, I can make videos. This is cool. Yeah. When things are simple, just like (laughs) one little 
SLR body and a kit lens. Yeah. And no microphone or anything. Um, yeah, I guess in a way it was like good timing and a lot of people got into it at the same time. Like a lot of the people we work with now and mates that we work with now, we all got into it at the same time. Just that like web video SLR boom, yeah, which changed everything. And I think it was, uh, yeah, we came back from Canada and I broke my arm one winter and I bought a little camera and then that winter we met Nick Hamilton. Okay. And he was doing his mates races around Sheffield and stuff. And I started the This Is Sheffield blog with Rob and Swinney. And then we met Nick and then Nick from doing the mates races. And then we all kind of started working on it, not working on it, but yeah. having fun with it together, doing some mates races and videos and blogs and, you know, whatever. Um, and just enjoyed it. Basically, you you know, you were just going out riding, but instead of just riding, you'd stop and film a section and then you'd gather some clips over a few weeks, just winging the camera about. <laughs> and then we started, yeah, just, you know, putting it in iMovie and just pretending you knew what you were doing <laughs> and then um, sticking it on Vimeo, I think, back yeah, then. Yeah, would have And been, then... Yeah. I can't even remember after that. It was like, yeah, the blog, I guess, got a little bit of traction. People liked what it was, you know, yeah. just a group of mates having fun, especially the mates races as well. Like people started obviously turning up for them a lot and yeah. just a good little scene. And especially in the winter when it's dark and wet, something to do. And yeah, I guess the videos got a bit of traction and then, yeah, that was it really. Was that how you met Sai? Because it wasn't your first piece of paid video work was for Kotick. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, one of the first ever gravel bike videos, pretty much. Yeah. Now you say it. Yeah. The X. Kotick yeah. X. Yeah, yeah. Late for work, is it called? Late for work. Yeah. What was that? 2012, 13? I can't remember. So, uh, Definitely the first uh, kind of paid. Yeah, like 11 work. maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, it was cool. Sai. I can't remember how that came about, to be honest. He was doing some of the the, the mates races, I think. I think yeah. maybe met you through that scene. Yeah, I knew Sai for sure anyway. I can't remember where we met, but um, yeah, I remember one day he was just like, oh, I want to do a fun video to do with this yeah, bike. Well, I don't know what it was called back then. It, gravel wasn't a thing, was it? No, it wasn't. It was just called Cyclocross. wasn't it, that bike? Cyclocross yeah, bike, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Um and yeah, what did we do? We came up with that. Well, came up with, did it. <laughs> Just the classic waking up and being late for work thing. Yeah. But that was cool. I guess that was, yeah, the first proper ad we made. Um, did you ever? Definitely that didn't point? pay for the rights of the Dolly Parton. So oh, yeah, sorry. you had nine to five. Didn't sorry, you? Dolly. But um, quiet. yeah. <laughs> did you ever at that point think, like, was there ever a vision beyond that? Or was it just like, oh, someone's asked me to do this, I'll go do it. It's a bit of fun. No, no vision. Um, just fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, just really fun. That, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I guess when you, there's no pressure back then doing it full time for work, you're kind of less stressed and just have fun with it. Like yeah. anything, I guess. Um, and I was work, busy working with other stuff and 
um, riding a lot still back then. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no big, big filming plans back then. Nice. And then at what point did you meet Petey? Was that through the, like the ride Sheffield stuff? Well, this is Sheffield. Yeah, with Steve, I think I kind of had bumped into him a few times because this is funny, but in Whistler, so my mate Tim Pearson, who runs Splat Shop, the trials website, he yeah. he knew Steve from back in the day with Moto stuff. Uh-huh. And Steve had a house in Whistler at the time and we were renting his house. <laughs> And then I think we went to Battle Royale when the last one. Yeah. When we got back and I met him for the first time. And then I guess he kind of knew about the mates races and a bit of 510 stuff. You know, he's always got shoes for when he was running flats and stuff. And yeah, he started coming to the mates races, got to know him a little bit more. And then just one day he just called and was kind of like, so I've been thinking, you know, there's the, these web videos that people are doing. Um, I think we should do some. And I was like, <laughs> right, yeah, cool. Um, and he was like, yeah, let me think, let me come back to you. And I was like, you obviously, you know, you just got to call Steve P's. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember getting that call. It was pretty funny looking back. Yeah. Yeah. Transformative, right? That really kind of opened the door to this becoming a career, yeah? Definitely. Because um, that was probably February 2012. The first World Cup was March, mid-March. Right, so you didn't have a lot of time to get ready. And Steve went away, about a week later called again, and was like, right, I've got some money off Monster. Um, it's not much, but it might get you around the World Cups. Like, do you fancy it? I was like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really have a plan. It evolved throughout that first year. Well, winging it big time. I think <laughs> you could say like, I didn't know how to film properly right. <laughs> at all. Honestly, like, and going to the World Cups, obviously the idea of going there to film and only ever having done random videos with your mates yeah. around Sheffield was, <laughs> Yeah. So, and obviously you're feeling the pressure big time because it's Steve Pete and the syndicate in a way as well back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And straight away you've got a big audience yeah, for exactly. this stuff, right? Yeah. And yeah, you're conscious that obviously everyone's kind of looking at like, who's this random kid with a little, <laughs> whatever it was, Canon 500D. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I just remember, yeah, panicking. I didn't have enough kit. I didn't know what I was doing. And then like got on the plane with him. South Africa was the first World Cup as well. I was in South Africa. <laughs> so it was like, whoa. Got there and was just full headless chicken. But, you know, from that day one, just, you know, Steve looked after me and Kathy and the rest of the syndicate just like brought me straight in. And without that, like, there's no way I'd have, you know, made it through because... Yeah. Yeah, you just don't, it's like any new job or anything you're doing for the first time that's on a big scale like that is just even the logistics day to day of where to be and what to do and yeah, knowing like, okay, they're only going to do five runs each practice. So you need to time where you're going to be between the runs so you don't miss them on the next run. And I just, that first week, I think I think I got three clips of him the whole trip. 
And like, if it wasn't for, at the time I was doing a bit of work for Stu Thompson, it cut on the side, okay. doing those like pagey pit interviews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like Mono, Aaron Barlow was working for Stu back then. And, you know, we had like a footage swap going on. And nice. if it wasn't for that, I'd have been screwed because he knew what he was doing. Um, and everyone was super friendly as well. Like, you know, it's... It's a small world. It's a small world, yeah. small travelling circus that looks after one another pretty good, to be honest. Especially then as well, right? There's a lot more videographers and photographers as part of the World Cup circuit now, I would say. Like more teams, or every team pretty much puts out a video, whereas back then there was there's probably fewer of you doing that, yeah? Like, yeah. This is Pete, was one of the earlier like video series around the World Cups. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think, especially now with social and everything else, there's, uh, yeah, more media jobs going around maybe and more, yeah, filmers and definitely more photographers. Yeah. I think filming, I feel like there's not as many right now, but I'm not sure why. Um, it's tricky to film World Cups. I remember literally like that first World Cup I met Clay Porter. Yeah. And he like, I was a bit like, oh, Clay Porter. And then... He was like, the hardest thing you'll ever film is World Cup racing. And if you can do that well, everything else will feel a lot easier. And he's, it's so true because obviously you're under pressure with the schedule and you can't, it's not like you can stop and be like, oh, sorry, mate, can you just push back up or mess yeah, up the focus? Yeah. Or, yeah, they're not there to film, are exactly, they? They're there yeah. to work. Yeah. And you're working around you know, the schedule yeah. and everything else. And there's only doing so many runs per day and you've got to be, good at managing your time because if there's some drama going on in the pits but you're at the top of the hill you can't get to the pits can you until it's finished yeah. so it's yeah takes a while to learn I think logistics wise yeah yeah but it's part of it it's it's cool yeah, yeah definitely you've always done a really good job of like bringing out the human side of the riders that you've worked with in those kind of video projects throughout the years what is it you think that enables you to do that like you always seem to be able to get them to be very genuine with you on camera which not not everyone can do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think maybe because I was off the back coming into it, I was really nervous about being in people's faces uh -huh. and didn't want to like encroach on these, you know, superstars, you know, yeah. what they're doing. So I always kind of kept, maybe I like learned the whole fly on the wall thing through those first couple of years where you were a bit, you know, more nervous, I guess, okay. to get in people's faces. And I think learning what, learning from what other people do as well. Like I remember I used to like way back when Clay was doing the Atherton project and obviously like you got Clay doing stuff like that and all his films every year and then Rankin doing all his films, like, totally different style but yeah. you could take stuff from both of them like yeah i remember clay like i always thought it was super cool how we always had the riders mic'd up in the pits and you could do that you know like um what do you call it spy cam from afar kind of thing yeah, yeah. and get the real reactions and conversations and definitely took that from that um and the camcorder style from ranking and scott marshall and mono and Although John Lawler. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think like with anything, 
I guess it's kind of like a trust thing as well. Once you've got to know people and they know you're not going to put them in a bad light or, you know, they, you know, you just become mates with them and then they don't mind you being in the face with the camera or floating around when they're having a conversation or when it's a good or a bad time. I think it just takes time, I think. Um, and always try to, I think you got to really try and respect what they're doing too. You don't want to like, just know when you can go over and ask something or, you know, like if, you, if they're getting in the zone for a race run, like don't start asking them about bike setup or, <laughs> yeah. you know, so yeah, just be tactful, I think. Learn the characters <laughs> a bit, yeah. Yeah. And you, you've had the opportunity to capture some amazing moments. I guess one of the ones that really stands out in my mind is, Steve retiring from downhill World Cup racing. That must have been an interesting one to kind of to cover because I'm sure I, I'm, I think it was a bit of Josh Bryson kind of mm. almost tearful talking about it on one of the videos that that got to me. What was it like for you covering that? Because he's he'd been a, up to that point a huge part of your career. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess as well, like on top of Steve retiring, like we knew Josh was probably going to leave as well. Uh So it was like a big old year. Um, So yeah, it was weird. It was emotional, I guess. Um, But I guess it was that, that whole year with all these different bikes and kits and stuff he did, it was kind of like a rolling celebration almost. So it was fun. Yeah. Didn't really think about it much until, until the last one. Yeah. And he's not really gone anywhere either. So it's, there wasn't some kind of weird transition where he just vanished. He's, he's obviously there now coaching and doing lots of other bits. Um, yeah. And then with Josh, obviously he had that amazing 14, 15 and 16, it was obviously a lot tougher and that was hard to watch, but obviously you were really happy for him that he was content and just like, right, yeah, I'm done. And that was cool to see as well yeah um so yeah now it was big year yeah he missed those boys from the race scene definitely yeah i think the greg steve josh era is like it'd be hard to ever replicate for anyone i think yeah just that mix of personalities and uh results and yeah just everything just a good laugh and i think things have changed a lot in general and it'd be hard to replicate that again in a lot of ways. Um, so I feel lucky that I was around to capture that. And it was a lot of fun, like a lot of work, a lot of late nights, but totally worth it. And trying to just make sure you had, because we had, we'd have so much footage <laughs> every World Cup and every trip because you, it, it was just such a good time. Yeah. And you just kept it rolling because you didn't want to miss anything. I used to be really bad with that. I'd film way too much and I'd just have hours and hours and hours. And obviously that takes so long to cut down. Yeah. So editing was always a mission. Um, But it's the most important part. Obviously, you know, you might as well keep it rolling in case something amazing happens. And Imagine there's a lot going on with those three in in the accommodation over a week at World Cup. Yeah. I read read a little story somewhere about you guys in a golf cart in the jungle somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That was after the last South African World Cup. Um, We were at this place outside Durban, I think. 
and there's a bit of a party and there's these golf carts and all I remember is me, Stephen, Joshua in one, I think Kathy, Greg, I think Duncan Philpot was in the other one. And we ended up going off the paved track into the jungle somewhere <laughs> on the outskirts of this place. And me and Josh hopped off to go for a pee. And then Steve just did one. <laughs> and it was like pitch black. And me and Josh were like trying to play, going, like, yeah, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. And then we just like got really scared and started running. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was plenty of funny times. <laughs> Happy days. So how do you get from those days to the point where you're doing more and more kind of projects? How did you grow Still City Media from being something that you did purely for Steve, I guess, at that point, really, in the syndicate, to being something that's a lot bigger? Um, I don't think there's, like, ever been a conscious decision to grow it. It's just kind of happened, I think. Um, I guess it's like any company, if you're getting a lot of work, there becomes that point where you have to make the call, like, right, we're either just going to say no to loads of stuff or you're going to say yes and take some more help on. Uh-huh. It literally just got to that point. It took a while and definitely I, I was trying to do too much for a long time, but um, it's tricky as well, especially with like media or like creative stuff. It's like to find someone who's, if you're trying to find someone who's like you, like you it's nearly impossible, obviously. Yeah. But it's someone you want to hang out with as well. And it? it's someone you want to spend time with and yeah. your, your mates with. And yeah, it's just really tricky. And obviously taking that leap to try and employ someone's always a big one, especially yeah, the first one. It's a big deal, right? Actually, it's all well and good making enough money to keep your own head above yeah. water, but paying staff effectively yeah. is a, is a big challenge, right? Yeah. Big time. And there's only three of us, but it's, it's been cool. Like with Sam, it was kind of like, I remember back in, what was that? 19? 18 I'd like a like a plan a plan b list written up because I was like obviously loved I love always loved what I've done but it got to that point where you're kind of like pretty burnt out with just the amount you were trying to do and yeah especially if you, you know you're getting cool opportunities to do um films and whatever for people you don't want to say no but you've got to eventually haven't you yeah but, it was like, right, either plan A, try and get someone, say yes and do this. And plan B was just like, knock it on the head. And it was kind of like, only wanted to work with Sam really. And luckily he was keen too. And it's worked out awesome since then. Yeah, happy yeah. days. You so. you sort of, I guess, consciously stepped away from the World Cup circuit a bit, yeah? Yeah, um, not consciously, more just we have a lot of non-work at work. Uh-huh. So you just, there's only so much you can do, I think. So you just had to get some help in with some of that. Um, we still like fully produce and manage all the syndicate stuff and other bits and now the union too. Um, but yeah, it's just like anything, just needed help to balance it out and do the non-work up stuff as well. Cause the World up stuff's like a really certain type of filming and you go into a lot of the same locations every year and you, want to I think having a fresh set of eyes on it is, yeah. is a good thing sometimes and you know you can do other stuff 
on the side and yeah no so it's been good yeah yeah have you missed being away from the world cups yeah definitely yeah um yeah i love it so it's always weird not to be there and watch one from home <laughs> I, st- I actually really struggle watching them <laughs> i don't like it like this summer we're like trying i guess when it's midday on a sunday if you're not there normally most people want to ride and not always watch and watch the replay later yeah, yeah. but i'm always like i can't i can't do it i've got to watch it live i kind of like knowing you know just you want to feel like you're there yeah especially with syndicate and union and yeah it's personal i guess yeah there's a lot of really personal interest in it. Yeah, yeah so yeah but definitely never going to go away from the world cups always cool. gonna be there or be doing something to do with it yeah definitely especially nice one. yeah so before you took um a bit more help on with steel city media you worked with aaron bartlett with mono on a feature length film mm. gamble that's your only feature length project so far is that right yeah what, yeah definitely what led to that decision because that's a I mean, it's a very different style of work and it's a bold move, right? Because a lot of people were kind of moving away from feature length. There was a lot more short stuff, 20-minute edits, that kind of stuff. What made you want to go yeah. down that route? I guess when we were filming on the World Cups, me and Aaron had the same style filming, like camcorder, a lot of handheld stuff, um, like the personality side of filming in general like uh-huh. bringing out characters and stuff and i guess we were a similar age so we grew up in that era of having multiple full-length films every year coming out on dvd or whatever yeah. and that obviously just stopped pretty abruptly yeah. and with the you could kind of see it like with all the streaming services and everyone's binge watching hour long episodes back to back. It's like, there's obviously a demand for long content yeah. as long as it's done right. And to be honest, it wasn't a business decision. That's for sure. Cause we did <laughs> definitely making much money on it, <laughs> but it was, it was probably a passion thing. It was like, we both wanted to do a really cool film yeah. and just pick at the time our, well, our closest friends and people we'd work with was mainly why we picked who we picked. Okay. And then, also just make a downhill related film um especially with taking the downhill as like outside of the tape which you don't normally get to see all the time yeah and just you know let them have fun and yeah so no it was cool feels a long time ago now it was a long time ago remember the mm. premiere was uh a few meters away from here yeah is it 18 something like Seven, that 18 yeah yeah you had a few years back. Yeah, yeah. What was it like putting that together? Because that's a big project. You filmed in mm. multiple locations all over the world. You got most of the riders, I think, to the UK at some point to film that kind of yeah. boxing gym scene, which I assume was somewhere in Sheffield. Yeah, it was near, um, what was it called? Glen Rhodes' gym in Hillsborough. Uh-huh. Hillsborough, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, huge job. Um, I guess when we started... It was end of 16. Because uh-huh. it's big. I think that's the thing people don't understand. It's it's not just a year of filming. It's probably a year of planning, a year of filming, and then six months of putting it out. And obviously in that two and a half year span, a lot can change with like, if you're working with downhills, it's like their sponsors, the teams, the sponsors you got, the film is... Yeah. 
you might not be associated with the riders anymore <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and the money side of it you know just I guess there was was there nine segments eight segments I can't remember now plus the intro yeah so that's nine locations and there's a minimum of four people at each one and if you're doing nine different places around the world even doing it like absolute bare minimum like we did you still need a load of money yeah uh, and then the music cost a fortune. I was going to say, I had Arctic Monkeys on the soundtrack. That doesn't come cheap, does it? That was the it? biggest blag of the century. Really? Yeah. How did <laughs> um, you manage that? I don't, we don't actually know how it worked in the end, but for Steve's section, originally we had, oh man, I forgot the song. She Sells Sanctuary. Okay. By, I blanked on it. Um, yeah, it's not coming to me. And we had that signed off yeah. and it wasn't that much. And then at the last minute they pulled the plug about a month before it was going to be finished. Oh, man. And we had a bit of a flap and Steve was like, God, it'd be good to have an Arctic Monkeys song. And I was like, yeah, it would be, but it's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> um, and he was like, well, I kind of know the drummer, my elders from back in the day when he was riding BMX and stuff. Okay. And we emailed the label and Steve was like, right, I'll try and message him yeah. and get in touch with him. And within a day, the label had responded and agreed to a tiny fee Wow, to have the track, which is unheard of. Yeah, like yeah. it never works like that. And ever. they'd have been on a massive label then, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it was... It was, yeah, weird almost. Yeah. They are just like, yeah, the band are psyched on it, all good. And we are like, uh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. Yeah. There's lots of cool little things like that that just well, came yeah. You got a brick top from uh, yeah. Snatch as well. That was a two-year process of hassling. Wow. And then in the end, it was really easy. They basically just got ignored for two years. And we finally got through to someone on the phone and they were just like, oh yeah, cool, when you want to come down? That was it. <laughs> so did you go down and record with them? Yeah, went to London. Yeah. He's pretty old, right? Yeah, he's, I think he's got to be 80 back then. Yeah. Um, and I remember got, I got there like an hour early and I remember, and I was like, this is stupid. I've been sat here for like 40 minutes and I'm way too early. And I left to get a drink, came back and then he was waiting. I was like, oh shit. And then he was cool. Yeah. It was really cool. And then it's crazy how quick they record stuff like that because, you know, you give him a script. Yeah. And ours wasn't obviously long at all. And he just reels it off. He'll just say the same line 10 different ways back to back to back. You just take your pick of what and you yeah, want. And yeah, the engineer's just cutting them, cutting them, cutting them. Yeah. And then you just pick one. It's pretty cool. Wow. And that's what was really cool about doing Gamble was, as well as obviously, you know, getting to do a, a film like that, just how much you learn and how much you took away from that, it helped step up everything else we did. Yeah. Just laying out work with the music rights and everything. Yeah. Getting decent sound recordings and yeah. Cause up to then it was still just a lot of World Cup stuff and a lot of smaller, you know, product stuff. Yeah. Pushed you out of your comfort zone a lot, I guess. Yeah. Learning everything for that film. I mean, we were, we were 30 grand in debt <laughs> when it came out and cause we'd borrowed money off so you have to get a distributor to get it on itunes and everything it's right. really complicated and that's something else we learned we had no idea yeah and we couldn't afford the music or 
we ran out of money. Yeah. And then luckily they trusted us that it'd be okay. Wow. So they paid for that, but obviously you're in debt and yeah. then it came off what you sold. Yeah, yeah. And luckily it was we about broke even, but it was yeah, sketchy. Fair But days. it was cool. It was good. Good fair. to learn everything. Yeah, and fair play for going all in and racking up 30 grand's worth of debt for all of us lots to watch See the name, film. didn't it? <laughs> it did. <laughs> so it was cool, yeah. Um it's funny, I watched the trailer the other day actually, randomly, and just the Brook and Blanky bit on the moto is like, we were laughing about that. Because um, I, I sent it to Hoto, because he's Roto Rua. Yeah. And uh, he was like, no way, I've not even seen this. Cause, yeah. Wow. It was cool. That's so, mental that people haven't seen Gamble. Yeah, don't know. It's on Red Bull TV now, yeah? Yeah, it is. That was cool. Um the only mistake, well, we didn't make a mistake. We couldn't do it at the time because cause we did a lot of camcorder stuff in it. Um, those cameras are only 1080p. Okay. And at the time, everyone was like really going for 4K stuff. Yeah. And so no one else took it, which is a shame at the time, but at the same time, it was like, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then Red Bull last year decided they wanted to take it, which was cool. So now people can watch it for free on there, which is cool. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it was like we wanted people to watch it. So it was, because we weren't originally even going to do it. We were just going to give it out for free. Oh, right. Until we realised that we couldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, it's cool. Wicked. How do you feel about it now, looking back, like whatever that is, four or five years ago? I think like anything, when you look at old work, you you nitpick it and you're like, oh man, there's so many mistakes and weird little things. But no, it's good. Still yeah, it's just nice to see a complete longer thing like that. And yeah, the music was cool. And all the building and things that went into all the, like the Steve Pete line, like, phew, that was a ton of work. At the ski village. Yeah. yeah. And that was really cool seeing that come to life. And Madeira as well with Bruni's line. Yeah. That's still there. That's cool. Um, yeah, they had an EWS stage on it right yeah that's pretty cool yeah it's really cool um yeah just good memories looking back on it yeah but at the same time you're like nitpicking you're like oh it's inevitable isn't it yeah definitely what what's kept you away from more feature length projects like is there another one in you definitely yeah we've been talking about it actually i think it's just the time like with other work on it's so hard to commit the amount of time you need to do it properly and but we're definitely gonna do one yeah for sure um and i think you don't want to force a concept or an idea either you need to kind of just have a good idea instead of just like right we're gonna film a bunch of riders wait for it to bubble up yeah so definitely do one eventually cool do you think with everything that's gone on with like covid for you guys like you've you've traveled a lot less i guess you've kind of Mm -hmm. had to change some of the ways you work do you think you've been able to become like more almost more efficient in the way you create or like, do you think it would be easier now with what you've learned through that whole like two years of hard times through COVID do you think you'd be able to put together a feature length project more easily does that make sense uh I think yeah definitely traveled way less not much at all really um but with a film like that it's quite personal so yeah. I don't think you'd 
like you could definitely sub out sections and get people to help, but you wouldn't want to do that. I don't <laughs> think because you'd want to be there and yeah. do it. And yeah, something like that. I think it does become pretty personal. So it'd be tricky, but with other work, yeah, definitely learn how to work remotely and produce stuff more and manage people afar who are filming stuff and you, you know, shipping drives and editing more from back here. And yeah, that's been cool. I learned a lot on that front. Yeah. And obviously with the COVID bike boom and all that stuff, it's been pretty hectic. So just playing catch up on that was, yeah, it's been good. Um, so yeah. yeah. All right. Busy. Watch out, watch out for more feature length content. Let's talk about another project that's keeping you busy and that's union. Um, first off, just tell us a bit about where that came from, I suppose. Good question. Um, <laughs> I think with racing and you, for, looking at it from a, like a media squid point of view, it's a, a media person coming up through the World Cups is the same almost as a privateer rider coming up. And as the sports got bigger and more professional and you know, everything else around it, I think it's become a lot harder for people to get into it yeah. from whether it's media or rider especially. But yeah, I always wanted to just try and do something to support up and coming riders or media people to give back. Cause you know, a lot of people help me come up and just be a good thing to do really. And yeah. originally we were going to just, you know, grab a couple of individuals and just try and put something together to help them. But then I bumped into Ollie and Ben Zwar when I was in Sweden in end of 19 uh -huh. and got to know them a little bit. And they'd just done their first proper season, I think. And they were just on some loose distributor deal. Yeah. And going to 2020, obviously when COVID kicked off, their kind of loose little program got, well, was going to be kind of canned. Yeah. And there was those two, Tohoto, were going to be on it. And then Little Ollie and Finn were on a Kiwi Aussie distributor thing as well. Yeah. And basically like, back in Sweden in January 2020 and Ollie was talking about all this and I was kind of just thinking like, oh man, maybe we could just like jump on board with their team and just help it become something bigger and better hopefully. Yeah. And obviously said the idea to him and we got a bit excited <laughs> and then um, I got really excited <laughs> and then put together this pitch and went to a bunch of people and it was just too late. Like January's too late because the season, yeah. you know, was starting in April or March or whatever it was. And well, was meant to before COVID. Yeah. And then, and the deadlines for UCI Reg, I think is January as well. Okay. And nothing was going ahead. We'd canned the idea. And then a week before <laughs> the registration deadline, Seb at Santa Cruz was like, right, screw it. We'll, you know, come in with frames and some support. And then I was like, right, okay, so we've got at least that. And then 
just started scurrying to grab whatever else we could. And obviously once you associate with Santa Cruz, that helped open yeah. some other doors. Uh -huh. And we decided we'd put in what we could from this end and spoke to Russ at Bike Morsey. And he was like, right, I'll give him somewhere to live in the summer. Amazing. And, you know, it was a small package, but it was enough to give that group of five privateers at least something to go off. Yeah, yeah. And to make it just, you know, a little bit easier to come to Europe. Because, you know, three Aussies and two Kiwis. Yeah. Even though Ben and Ollie were living in Sweden now, you know, it's a long way for them to go and twice as hard in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was it. It was literally a week before the registration deadline. Unreal. So this year was like, you know, we were fully just going with it. Yeah. Doing whatever we could. And with all the supply issues, obviously that was really tough. Getting enough parts. Um, the parts we had for the full team was based off just Ben and Ollie. <laughs> so it was, yeah, tight. But we had, everyone was helping where they could syndicate especially Lyle and Tom the mechanics were amazing with parts and help and nice um yeah just tried to make it happen really and it did yeah and then it did it happened pretty well <laughs> yeah it was mad um what was the first race is it Leah gang this yeah yeah, no, yeah that was, was this year sorry this year was Leah gang yeah yeah um yeah, am I getting my years mixed up here? Hold on. You, union was this year, wasn't it? Sorry. 21. Yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah. 19 and 20 mixed up. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> this year. Um, yeah, like, started at Leah Gang, and obviously it was that, it was that nightmare in the woods again, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it again, wasn't Results it? were all over. Yeah. And then it was Leger. Yeah. I think. Oh, I've lost track. I think it, it was Leger because Ollie qualified 16th and it was like, whoa. And he was on TV and that was amazing. Um, and then everyone just found their groove after that. Like Finn and Tahuto hadn't qualified up until then. Yeah. And then Maribor, I think, was after that. And Tuto qualified 16th, I think. Yeah, the cracker, yeah. And yeah, everyone else did really good too. And... Then everyone just, yeah, got in the rhythm. And then Worlds was like 14th and 17th for two and Ollie. And Benny was 22nd. Finn was 27th, I think. Um, and so, yeah, they all, they all just killed it all were, year. Were you expecting that? Like, No, not really. Yeah. No. I mean, obviously you knew they were quick. Yeah. But they're on, you know, like it's not like there was much support there at all. And there was a tent. Yeah, there was a tent, yeah, exactly. We bought a pit, it was cool. Um, but it just made it happen. And Yuki as well needs a big shout out because he was a mechanic in all year. And yeah, you know, dealing with five riders' bikes. That's full on. And doing it with minimal support is really hard. So yeah, yeah he made it happen, which yeah. is really cool. So yeah, no, it went way better than all of us expected, I think. Yeah, like, you got a good amount of media coverage for sure. Mm, yeah, I guess that's where, especially for next year, that was like the big thing we tried to sell it on was because we're running it behind the scenes and we're a media company. It's like you'd hope that the media would be <laughs> pretty good, good yeah. and obviously try and do our best to promote them and the sponsors Yeah, using what we know and everything else yeah. and yeah we got 
it's looking really good for next year. There's going to be way more support. Nice. Uh, some other companies coming in and some new riders and yeah, it's, yeah, it's really good. Definitely. And have you been able to keep Toyota? Because that's the there's a lot of talk around that. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, nice. that was funny listening to all that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is the big thing about the union that I think separates it the most is like the whole idea of the union is that it's a platform for these riders to go on to bigger teams. It's not, the goal isn't to retain them forever. Like the goal is that you give them as much support as you can. And then in a year or two's time, they go on a factory team and get a big wage and what they deserve. Yeah. So that's the goal. So obviously if two had had an amazing offer or Ollie or whoever, um, you'd help them to, you know, make that happen. Yeah. So that's cool there's no pressure from like our end to make money or do anything weird with this. It's like, it's literally a passion thing and want to help the riders. And the idea is to bring on new media talent to the team as well and help oh, them nice. get a leg up onto the circuit. Cause it's not easy either. It's the same for them. It's expenses and yeah, yeah. all the rest of it. So yeah, it's a, it's an, it's a not for profit team for us. We don't, we're not trying to sell anything. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, if people see our logo on the jersey, then wicked. But it's just a cool thing. So yeah, it's been very cool. It's really cool. Well, how would you describe your role on the team? Like, are you the team manager, or <laughs> um, I guess this year we've all just been chipping in. Like Ollie was managing everything on the road and riding at the same time, so right. he did a real job. Um, me and Nush um, have been just helping with logistics and booking things and any media related stuff. And then I've been dealing with all the sponsors and trying to sort that for next year. So, uh-huh. but yeah, next year we've got more help, which is really cool. Walker Shaw is going to be managing the team full time. Nice. And on the road with them. So that's take, Luca's brother. Yeah. Luca's brother. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Cause it takes the pressure off Ollie and us a bit. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He's obviously raced for years and he's done the privateer thing. He knows what you need to race fast yeah. and riders respect him because he obviously knows what he's on about with riding and um, yeah, yeah, it should be good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And the performance should only go up from last year. You know, so it'd be funny if it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be, it's really exciting because, you know, we're actually going to have spare parts and, there's more budget to actually pay for expenses properly and they won't be sharing beds and (laughs) we're maybe, well, we're going to have a team van and stuff. Nice. And yeah, it's looking really good. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on why it went so well for those guys? Like, is there something about the dynamic of that group that's really firing or what is it you think that's driven those results? Bit of a combo, I think, because they're all, they're all fast anyway. Yeah. So I guess it's a bit of the classic, like most of the circuit, you know, the top, hundred like they're all fast it's just those minor things and i think even though it's not like they had much this year it was just that bit extra maybe that could let them relax a little bit and give them the confidence to you know go that three percent faster which means 20 places probably um and yeah i guess the association with Santa Cruz and the syndicate and like our relationships with people that we work with for a long time and the riders getting brought into that as well probably helped a bit because you know they I guess they're 
profiles got brought up a bit and they yeah, get to yeah. meet everyone and yeah maybe just confidence I think if they feel like uh, yeah. they belong a bit more maybe or that they deserve to be there maybe yeah maybe just just those all those little bits add up I think yeah um hopefully anyway yeah good effort man it's an awesome project to uh Cheers. be doing basically for free for for the love of it so yeah good on you yeah yeah Need more of that it's cool yeah you've been making videos a long time um and a lot's changed in that time right i think instagram had pretty much like just been founded when you first picked up a camera and started shooting video and that you know the technology landscapes changed the distribution landscapes changed where do you think it's all going because there's so much mountain bike content there's so much quality mountain bike content out there at the moment but is it is it sustainable like where do you see the future of mountain bike media it's a bit of a big question but be interested to get your thoughts yeah we talk about this all the time obviously we work it's a it's a minefield I think at the moment I think I don't know if anyone knows where it's going because there's so many ways to put out and produce content yeah. whether it's for social like Instagram Facebook TikTok Twitter or YouTube or print or online general ads um, there's just so much and there's so much quality content in mountain biking coming out every day. Yeah. It's kind of bonkers. And I think in some ways people have become a bit numb uh-huh. to content because there's so much good stuff. But at the same time, there's still room that if you have a legit idea, it does still stand out. Yeah. So I guess it's just harder. It's become harder to stand out, I guess. But at the same time, you've maybe got more opportunities to like, I guess, like we were saying earlier, I think you're better off not spreading yourself too thin and picking your platforms like, right, we're going to nail YouTube or Instagram or both, but we're not going to try and do seven different things kind of averagely. Yeah. I think that's the big one for us. There's no point trying to do everything, even though a lot of people sometimes do want that. It's, try and kind of lean them towards not doing it because yeah, the quality has to drop somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. I don't think there's any magic formula. It's, I guess quality always wins. Yeah. Whatever you do. But at the same time you look on YouTube and see what's getting millions of views and you're like, you start questioning everything you're doing. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, quality doesn't always, no. well, the Depends, way you perceive yeah. quality might not be the way someone else perceives quality. Definitely. Like you can have a very, very successful like vlog style video series, Yeah, really low production values, which for you guys, you're probably like, oh, this is horrible. But people might absolutely love it because definitely, it's, yeah. the, it's the person that they're connecting with or whatever, and they don't really care. They don't see the production. Like, yeah, it's so hard to know. I guess it's like depends who you're working for, because some brands, you know, wouldn't ever do a traditional vlog, uh-huh. but some would. And I guess it's just who you're trying to reach. Like, if you want to reach, I don't know, twelve to eighteen year olds, like focusing on a more vlog influencer style thing makes total sense. Yeah. I've been on t- TikTok more instead of being on Facebook and trying to do super techie, I don't know, videos on whatever. Yeah. So I guess it depends who you're trying to reach. I think you've got to be a bit more picky maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just so many ways of doing stuff in there. It is a minefield. Um, do you think all the content will survive? Like, do you think 
it feels like it's becoming less and less of a less and less room for content that's not high quality because there is there's only a there's only so many mountain bike fans on the planet and they've only got so many hours in the day to consume so at some point there's a saturation right where you're just like something's not going to get watched or viewed or listened to or whatever yeah i guess there's always trends so yeah certain things will die definitely i think we've always i don't know maybe like subconsciously you do start leaning towards the newer way of doing things without obviously without trying to lose your style or what you've always done but yeah, yeah you have to go with the flow to a degree otherwise you just get left behind left behind because you could just like stick to your guns like right i'm only doing pan and zooms and i'm not <laughs> doing anything else it's like that's cool yeah but you're probably not going to get much work if people want something more than that so it's i guess it's a bit of a balance how would you say your kind of output has changed then like over time to, to keep up with what's going on? I guess the biggest change is the amount of deliverables per project. So back in the day, it was just like you made a three minute video and that was it. Right. But now it's like you make a video and then there's four 15 second teasers in landscape, four in vertical <laughs> There's a one minute raw cut. There's the raw footage on a hard drive plus the photos. Yeah, it's this. Yeah, I guess because there's so many ways to put things out yeah. and to get that algorithm going on wherever you're sharing it, you need to hit all the different features. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we've always tried to be pretty on that though and mm -hmm. like make sure that we can do all that because. Yeah. It is important to kind of just give that, like, I don't know, that package. It's like, right, here's the photos, video, teasers. Yeah. Um, social media side. Yeah. Would you say your style's changed at all? Probably. Um, yeah, I guess maybe less shaky. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, yeah, like less, I guess at the races you did use the camcorder a lot. Back in the earlier days, like, did that a lot but you know when you start doing more like ad stuff for brands or products yeah you've got a you have to mix it up you know if you want to get a nice shot of a i don't know a crank arm you can't just do pan and zooms <laughs> winging around on it yeah you need to get a nice static tripod shot yeah. off a i don't know more cinema camera or whatever uh -huh. um so yeah like i think the bigger the production the more you have to the more kit you have to use naturally, like there's no way you can get around it. Uh -huh. Even if you, even if you don't want to, because more kit is more stress for sure. Yeah. Um, more stuff to go wrong. And we always try and keep it simple. Like I'd, I'd say we definitely still try to keep it simple because the more kit and people and things, yeah, the more chance for things to go wrong or it takes away from the actual like idea or the creative side, I think. Yeah. yeah, fair play. Let's talk a little bit about the riders because rider value is something that has been talked about quite a lot recently. Well, it's probably always been talked about quite a lot, but it's definitely kind of moved over over the years. It's moved away from being purely results-based and there's a lot more that goes into it kind of from a marketing side, I guess, like social media, content creation, vlogs, all this kind of stuff. And, and you guys 
to an extent a part of that right you help out some riders with social media and you help some brands as well like how how do you look at that like value equation and what advice would you give to up and coming riders that maybe don't quite know where to focus is it does it again come down to like do one or two things really well don't spread yourself too thin or can you afford not to be on these big social platforms it's tricky i think if you're a racer nowadays and obviously there is pressure to do all the social and other media related things because it is now part of the job for sure and it's obviously really important for the sponsors and to keep your job going yeah but at the same time it takes away from training and other things and i get that as well but it's kind of it's not easy social media but it's kind of an easy way for an athlete to prolong the career i think you know you can satisfy your sponsor if you've had a bad season with results if you've been doing good things on social they're going to be way less bothered yeah yeah so I think it's like an easy solution or or an easy kind of backup, yeah. basically, that helps. Um, yeah, and I guess you're building, like you say, you're building something for the future, right? If you retire yeah. from racing and the only thing you ever had was racing, yeah, life can be a bit tricky, right? Yeah, exactly. But if you've been doing some other things, you've got an audience effectively elsewhere outside of the race world. Yeah, like look maybe, at Warner or yeah. Hans Ray and... You know, those guys, been, they're still yeah, more than relevant yeah. and doing more than ever. Um, I think from a media or a media rider, I don't know what you even call it, <laughs> um, like, I don't know, 50 to 1 crew yeah. or Vera or that style of riding, they, I guess, are the first generation getting paid to do that kind of thing, I yeah, guess, in yeah. a way. Yeah. And they're their results, I guess, equivalent is getting big views on videos and yeah. um, social media and all that stuff, putting out parts. And it's kind of cool in a way that they're the first ones to do, but it's also hard for them because they're forging the path and yeah. brands obviously haven't had decades of experience knowing what the worth is of a view yeah. or, yeah. I don't know, your TikTok following or whatever. It's, yeah. it's tricky. And I I think, and it's only going to get bigger, their worth is, you know, not far off the worth of the equivalent results-driven racer. You know, if you're getting 12th at a World Cup, or if you're, I don't know, I'm trying to think, I don't know, Vera getting 200,000 views on a video, it's like, it's so hard to calculate, but you kind of know that they're both worth a lot. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think that gap between results being worth way more has come down a lot and will probably continue to, unless you're winning top five, you know, at the top, top. Um, So I think it's good to try and get that balance, whatever you're doing. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's hard. Do you think it puts racing at risk to an extent? Like, does it make racing a less attractive path for people? Mm, I don't think so. I think racing will always be big because it's just so different. Uh Uh-huh. I think it's just a different type of riding. And I think as racing gets more and more pro, it's just, if you're going to get into it, I guess, unfortunately, maybe you'll have to start younger focusing on the training and 
been dedicated, which is a shame in a way because you should probably just be enjoying riding. But I guess it's like any big sport or motorsport, it's the getting into it from a young age to try and make it to the top maybe. Yeah. Because I don't know exactly the facts, but I feel like the downhill racing scenes in a lot of countries got a lot smaller this last I don't know, five years or 10 years, maybe. Certainly the case in the UK. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a lot of factors is like enduro racing, trail bikes actually being really good now to the point that you don't need to go for an uplift race weekend to ride your bike. You can, you know, you can pedal up and down and e-bikes and all that stuff. And 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 bike parks. parks. Exactly. That's the other huge one is bike parks. So many good places now you can just ride for fun on a uplift and maybe the stresses of races has took people out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely going to change that. Um, what do you call it? Like the, the rise of riders coming through the ranks. I think it's, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I just think less will come through maybe. I think that's fair. It's becoming more professional, isn't yeah. it? The barrier to entry at some point. Well, it probably already is. It's getting higher. Yeah, for sure. Cost of bikes and stuff as well. Yeah. It's gone up a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, even looking at like, I mean, the field was a lot bigger at World Cups 10, 15 years ago. And also the ver- like the variation in skill level yeah. was a lot bigger. True. Whereas now pretty much everyone that there, that's there is rapid. Yeah. If you qualify, it's like you're You're a insane. very good rider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I remember it used to be amazing though back, in 2012 or whatever, like you get to Leah gang, there'd be 500 people <laughs> and there'd be little crews that could barely get down the track. But it was, I mean, I can imagine how annoying it must be yeah. if you were riding fast and you come up on three people in a pile <laughs> in the middle of the trail. But yeah, it's changed a lot. Definitely. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And it's definitely growing. It's starting to mature, isn't it? It's still a young yeah. sport, but it's definitely starting to show signs of maturing and becoming more I feel like there's too many fast riders and not enough teams at the moment. Yeah. There's definitely more and more brands and teams getting involved, but there's not enough for the amount of top riders. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a tricky one. Mm. Hard to, yeah, hard for everyone to make a living out of it, I think. But definitely. Yeah. Fingers crossed it remains as good as it is or, or improves because it's an awesome thing to sit and watch, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Cool. We're going to hit a few random questions before we wrap up. Um, first one of those. In all this time, what's the biggest mistake that you've made work-wise and what did you learn from it? Oof. Um. Well, that's a good one. Biggest mistake? Probably something to do with not backing up a hard drive. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of an example. I don't think I've ever had a huge one. Must have done. Um, running out of battery at uh-huh. World Cups at the wrong time. I've had yeah. that a couple of times. Yeah. I think not backing up. Maybe one time I had a hard drive crash and I didn't have a backup. and lost quite a lot of work. Oh man. Um no Yeah, man, I'd have to think about that. That's a tricky one. So no cheap hard drives anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah, always back up. Yeah, just always, always. Yeah. Is your life just a series of cables and adapters <laughs> and Yeah. I think we're definitely a lot better now. 
with backing up things and it's a lot easier once you know how to do it yeah. properly but it's expensive as well hard drives poor. especially good ones well and the size of video files that you guys are moving around that's on the thing with all basis. the new cameras it's like the file sizes get bigger and bigger every year yeah so you're just burning <laughs> through drives yeah it's mad do you move files around like online as well a bit yeah it's hard when it's such a big amount because even on a really good connection, it's still a mission. Yeah. If you need to transfer like a terabyte to Canada, yeah, it's doable, definitely. Leave it on overnight. Yeah. But post a lot of drives. Yeah. Do a lot of that. Um, you know, smaller bits, loads of, you know, Dropbox and yeah, yeah. yeah Dropbox. <laughs> kind of hate it, but it's good. <laughs> I think everyone's stuck with it, aren't yeah, they? Pretty yeah. much. Um, which rider has left you with the funniest pile of gold on the cutting room floor. Josh. <laughs> I thought rat, that might be the case. Sure. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, Syndicate, Rat, Steve, Greg Combo, especially 2014 when Josh won the overall. Yeah. That year was just, yeah, it was just ridiculous on all fronts. <laughs> it was just too funny. Every race, um, there's always something going on or, someone was winning or just something cool had happened. Yeah. Have you kept it all? Yeah, definitely. Do you think any of it would ever see the light of day? Like a 10 year anniversary hopefully. edition or something? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. That's why I guess you got to look after your stuff because you never know what you might use it for. Yeah. It'd be nice to look back on it. Um, not long ago, I was like, I had to dig back for something. I was looking at stuff from 2012. Uh-huh. That was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? but hopefully use it somewhere. Definitely, yeah. Syndicate film or something. Be good to see some of that. Yeah, full-length syndicate mm. film. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, who knows? Maybe. All right. What's the best thing you've spent your own money on in the last 12 months? Um, compressor. A air compressor. An air compressor. Pumping up your bike tires. Yeah, like... <laughs> I guess everyone who rides a bike has been through the pain of being covered in sealant, trying to get something to seat. Yeah. And then I was like, right, finally doing it. And just basically got the equivalent of like Aldi middle aisle compressor <laughs> for 80 quid and just game changer. Like no more issues. No more issues. No like, more sealant on like, clothes. Why didn't I do this five years ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd have all been paid back by now. Yeah. It? I mean, it's noisy, but it's good. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Compressor for sure. And is there a piece of kit like through work that you couldn't live without? Like what's the one thing that you would always want away with you when you're traveling or on a shoot or? Um, Sven's a good fan of a big fan of a nice bag, but yeah, bags are good. I've been trying to reduce the weight in mine though, trying not, (laughs) Cripple yourself. Yeah. Um, good pair of hiking boots. Yeah. Yeah, even if you... So you always kind of look at those new fancy Vans ones or and you're like, oof, it'd be nice to, you know, a not look pair. like too much of a squid on the hill. <laughs> but then you get a set and you realise there's a reason you buy proper hiking boots. Yeah. Because <laughs> they keep your feet dry and it's grippy when you're walking down a steep grassy bank and you don't want to deck it. With, with all your kilos on your back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, good set of shoes or good set of headphones for traveling. 
Okay. Um, Noise reducing or reduction. Exactly. Which what, ones have you got? What have I got? I've got um, Sony, what are they called? WX4000. I, I don't know. know. I had some Bose ones, but they're they good. broke. Yeah. Just get the best set you can get, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a big difference if you're on planes a lot, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. What? I'm not a big kit person. No. Which I don't like too much kit. Trying to minimise. I never was into technology or computers or cameras growing up. Kind so of interesting where you've ended up. Definitely. It's funny, we always joke about it because Sam's a lot better than me, especially with cameras, right. kit. And then Duncan Philpott, obviously we used to work with him a lot and he's so on it with tech stuff. And... I used to live with him for a few years and he'd just laugh at me basically, just trying to do basic stuff on the computer. <laughs> so I've had to learn, but yeah. that's what YouTube's for. So there you go. Yeah. It's a tutorial for everything. Yeah, you don't need uni, just go YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty true. <laughs> yeah. And can you tell us anything about what's next for Steel City Media? Like, have you got any projects you can tease us about or? Um, what we're doing, we've got, Bunch of syndicate stuff lined up this off season. That'd be good. Nice. Um, Different stuff to what you've done previously. Like, yeah. It's not normally much syndicate footage in the off seasons. Now you've done bits and bobs like yeah, wind rock testing and Yeah, we're gonna try and do more. Yeah. So that'd be cool. Nice. And then yeah, a lot more Santa Cruz want a lot more um non racing content uh-huh. from their other ambassadors. Okay. And more story based stuff. Yeah. Like we did with Vera and Dan Paley and yeah. um, some other ones, and nice. we're going to bring out one one a month oh, from right. January onwards. Yeah, good so effort. that'd be cool. Um, we've got some stuff for Bayer launching that's a bit different. Like it's really story based, like not even anything to do with bikes. <laughs> one came out the other day called Oak to Anchor, uh-huh. and it's about this guy in Basque region who he builds basically these huge sailing boats out of wood the old school way yeah and he based it off this story about the old merchant ships coming from canada and all the trails basically that lead to where he builds his boats and now mountain bike trails by basque mtb and okay basically finding cool stories like that that are loosely tied to bikes yeah and then yeah we get to just film these cool stories which is and then he's gonna make so he's nearly finished his boat and he's gonna sail to canada in it like full pirate ship spec. What? So it's pretty funny. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, loads of random smaller bits. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, what have we got coming up? Oh, finishing off. We've been working on a a part all year with Josh Lewis for like a year now. Ah, uh, yeah. Or maybe yeah. longer than a year. He got injured, didn't he? Yeah. Halfway through, yeah. Exactly. He's bent himself a few times trying a lot of, things which he's he's gone hard yeah so that'd be cool that'll be out end of this month that's done is it you've got all the footage done it'll be done on thursday okay <laughs> he's coming here nice. so we'll finish it off and then yeah it should be out end of this month december i look forward to that yeah that'll be good and yeah yeah always working on stuff so yeah, it should be good. You're a busy bunch, that's for sure. Well, we're, um, we're getting close to the end of our time, but we'll wrap up with our regular final four questions. First of which, if our listeners had £150 to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? Oof. Um, 
good question. If you run flat pedals, get a good set of pedals and shoes. Okay. What's your go-to? Obviously, 510 shoes. There's a yeah. pedigree there. Always run 510s. Pedals. What have I got? I've got Bergtex. Yeah. Got the new Bergtex. Is that Mark 5? Mark are they on? Fives. Yeah. Or I had a set of what are the ones this year? The Deity T Mac ones. Oh, yeah. They're I've really good things. Too. Yeah. Both really good. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Like it. Yeah. Next one, if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? Um, learn how to edit in Premiere Pro. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, 16. Not stressed about school? Were you stressed at school? Not stressed, but I think don't worry if you don't know what you want to do. Yeah, okay. Like, you know, obviously getting good results at school helps, but... If you want to get involved in an industry, like especially in the media world, I feel like going out and doing it's just as important as learning about it at school too. Yeah, yeah. Like obviously not saying don't go to school, but no. I think it's really important just to go out and do it too. Don't worry about everything else. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, my experience is that like careers advice at school doesn't, or back when I was at school anyway, didn't really fit yeah. unless you were going down a traditional like yeah, exactly. policeman doctor whatever kind of route yeah if you said oh, i'd quite like to uh film people riding bikes down hills for a living they'd have been like or even just biking what? in general yeah cycling back exactly. then it's just like even only when i was at school it's like cycling wasn't a, th- a thing yeah yeah Definitely. So, yeah fair play third one if you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present who would it be and what would you want to learn and you've, you've had the opportunity to ride with some pretty awesome people over the years mm um, ooh. Mm. on bikes, maybe bike related, maybe a dirt jump lesson. Okay, <laughs> from I don't know who from someone stylish like Ollie Wilkins, yeah, or Jimmy Pratt. Ollie Wilkins S- has got like a nice, that. sort of late, almost lazy style, like. yeah. Yeah, on a bike, definitely learn how to jump better um, off the bike. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Are there people in the video world that you look up to? um, Like outside of mountain biking? Yeah, yeah. um, Probably should be. (laughs) (laughs) I watch a lot of stuff. Yeah. Definitely. You know, I wouldn't say I'm like a big film nerd. Uh Uh-huh. Um, definitely enjoy watching lots of things and I guess subconsciously you take in a lot. Yeah. But I actually enjoy a lot of, I don't know, I like watching stuff that makes you laugh. I was going to say cats with sellotape on their back. Not that kind of stuff, <laughs> but um, we just got a cat actually. Cat, yeah, new cat dad. Um, nice. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like binge watching a TV show like anyone. Yeah. And, Lots of different stuff. I can watch anything like my girlfriend's Swedish and she loves dark Scandi thrillers. Like, nice. You know, they always seem, even though it's like the most chillest nation on earth, Sweden and in Denmark and Norway, all they do is kill each other on yeah. bridges. I was going to say, if you watch the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like it was cool when we did the blur thing this year. Like 
like I really liked Wes Anderson stuff anyway. Yeah, and I think cool. you know quirky, more quirky stuff like that. Yeah, I'm really into Tarantino and all that stuff. Yeah, um, it'd be nice to see more of that stuff. influence kind of dripping over into the mountain bike world. I like what you brought in with the Blur stuff. So yeah, it's hard that style of filming, like learning the whip pants. Like yeah. that was all one shot. All those things. It's not kind of clever cuts, and Fair that's what is. he does too. Yes. Yeah. You know, watching all the behind the scenes, it's mad what goes into the stuff he makes. So and like the colouring and everything yeah, exactly. as well. It's very sort of unique. Yeah, and all the little tiny um Easter eggs and things in the background that you don't consciously see, but yeah. subconsciously it's just it's there. It's funny. Yeah. Good effort. Yeah, that was a cracking video that. All right, last one. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? <laughs> Um, or most days or what do you wish you did every day I think I need to ride more again yeah definitely don't ride enough yeah I'm in that group yeah um, I like riding to work I think it's really good even if you don't fancy it you feel way better once you've done it yeah. it's not far but just that you know yeah. blast wakes you up um, oof do it every day. That's a hard one. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like it should be an obvious answer, here, but yeah, no, know. no rituals. Rituals. No, I'm not big on rituals. I guess. I've actually kind of tried, like nearly given, not given up coffee, uh-huh. but got a lot better not having it anymore. So that's good. Yeah. I feel like you kind of become reliant on it sometimes. That's one thing you do every day is not have coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man, I don't know. It sounds really boring. I'm trying to think. Um, Josh didn't get you into yoga. Never done yoga. No, never got into yoga. Um, she always tries to tell me. She makes a lot of sense, to be honest. Um, I think just making time to have like a good natter with whoever you're with, whether yeah. it's in the morning with your other half or just talking through things with Nush. Or you go for a walk or food at lunch. Just get out, stop working, basically. Yeah. Not working is the yeah. best thing you can do yeah. <laughs> if you can. That is Each one day, of just, even if it's 20 minutes, just That's, stop and yeah. do something normal. That is one of the best answers to that question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100% agree with that. Yeah. And it's too easy, isn't it, to Definitely. get distracted and yeah. your phone to buzz in your pocket. and you're... Especially if you work for yourself, I think, as well. Even though there's a couple of us, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's all it's personal, in it? You kind of, it's 24-7 sometimes. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't stop. Yeah. Cool, nice one. Well, it's been really interesting finding out more about your background and how Steel City Media grew into what it is today look forward to seeing more and more of the output that you guys are throwing out there um if people want to keep up to date where's the best place for them to look we've only got instagram at the moment uh-huh. so that's steel city media um we will have a website again soon <laughs> it's been about six years but <laughs> yeah yeah instagram yeah. usually the best place cool um, and there's a load of the old like this is pete stuff on your youtube right yeah true that's on our youtube and the rest of the stuff, yeah. Sort of distributed across clients. Exactly, yeah. Platforms. A lot of, yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Will be eventually at least 
on a website, but our Instagram's normally got the list of stuff we're doing. And, Wicked. Yeah. Nice one. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. It's been really interesting. All the best for another good season of the Union. Cheers. Looking forward to seeing how those guys get on. And uh, yeah, another year of Steel City Media. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Wicked. Cheers, man. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Joe. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Don't forget that as a downtime listener, you can get 15% off all of their rim-only products by using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Also, a massive thank you to Nukeproof. They've just launched their autumn winter range of clothing, which you can check out over at nukeproof.com. If you want to be in with a chance of winning one of their awesome black line waterproof jackets, along with some Sam Hill signature grips and pedals, then you can head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash nukeproof before the 9th of December and answer a simple question to be entered into a prize draw. Don't forget to add a downtime EP subscription and a downtime hoodie or t-shirt to your Christmas list and start dropping hints to whoever you want to get it for you. Or you could pick up a sub or some merch for your partner who rides, your riding buddies, or even as a nice little treat for yourself. For EP subscriptions, head over now to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. And for hoodies and t-shirts, then you need downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, there's a few things you can do to help out. Please, first and foremost, tell your rider mates about the podcast, because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Give the episodes a share on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word, and it helps get the buzz going around the episodes too. And if you've still got time, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride.